Ben Northrup was sitting at a tech conference listening to a presentation about a new piece of technology when he was struck by the sense that history was repeating itself. For the 20 years that Ben has worked as a software engineer, he's been hearing about new technologies that claim they will be able to disrupt everything. And Ben has been relentlessly keeping up with the latest trends as much as he possibly can. And of course, Ben is like all of us. Nobody can keep up. As a daily software podcaster, I think I'm as well positioned as anybody to be tuned into the wide breadth of the software engineering ecosystem, but I am constantly behind as well. I can never keep up with all of the information and the new technologies that are being developed, and Ben reflects on this in his post, Reflections of an Old Programmer. In this post, Ben theorized about the causes of his feelings of fatigue and the constant struggle that we all have to keep up with the world of software engineering. His post contains enduring lessons that will be of value both to new programmers and it will feel familiar to programmers who have been around for a while. It was a real pleasure to talk to Ben about his experiences over the last 20 years as a programmer and the philosophies that he encapsulated in this post, Reflections of an Old Programmer. I think you'll like it too. Ben Northrup is the author of the blog post, Reflections of an Old Programmer. Ben, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Hey, thanks very much for having me. You're 40 years old, right? Uh, just about, a couple of months shy. So it's funny that you refer to yourself as an old programmer, but I think the main point you were making in your post was that after about 20 years in the industry, you started to notice certain cyclical aspects um, of being a programmer. And your post began with you at a tech conference and you were learning about React Native at this tech conference and you describe sitting in the audience of a presentation you're listening to people talking about how this new technology React Native is going to disrupt everything and you describe yourself feeling fatigued rather than thrilled and excited about React Native you felt like you'd been through this before it's an introduction of yet another new piece of incremental technology where did that sense of fatigue come from? <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, so, you know, I've been to, a, you know, conferences. I've been doing this. And I've been in software for, you know, almost 20 years now. And I've gone to conferences and I try to go to meetups here and there. And, and in general, when I, you know, when I go to these things, I feel more energized and inspired. And for whatever reason on this day, um, I, uh, yeah, I guess I wasn't feeling well or I wasn't, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, the stuff was going on at home and it was a Saturday morning. And, uh, and, and I think also because I've kind of missed the train on, uh, on mobile technologies and I definitely out of the loop. Um, I've focused more kind of, uh, in the, in the web, um, and kind of the back end. Um, so I felt, uh, that there was kind of a bigger gap, um, between what, I knew and uh, and and kind of the React Native and the stuff I was learning about, and I think I just felt um, <laughs> just I, I was just speaking honestly. I just felt, uh, oh man, I am so you know I've been in this industry for for you know twenty years, and I'm still at a point where that can feel so behind and so uh, um, you know kind of yeah, I guess just so behind. Well, that is one of the great. Um not great in a like positive term, but it's just a one of the interesting aspects of computer science of programming is that it feels like the scope of what's going on in the industry is always expanding and it's it's getting harder and harder to keep up. I mean, I am a software podcaster and I do five shows a week on totally disparate topics and I, I, and all I do is scratch the surface. I don't even go deep on these topics, and, and I'm constantly behind. Um, so, I mean, how, did your feelings at the conference, did, they, did it contrast with younger people? Did those younger people feel like they were more excited or they had the, the right base of knowledge to take advantage of React Native, for example? Or what, what was the difference between yourself and the younger people at the conference? So I, I think, yeah, that, that's another good question. I, I think yeah, I've thought about this a bit. Um, and I think on one hand, you know, experience, you, you know, in 20 years in software, you've seen a lot of things come and go. Um, and so, you know, 10 years ago, or 15 years ago, I might have 
um, had maybe a little more excitement because um, I, I thought, you know, this would be it. This, there'd be a little more longevity in it. Um, and at almost 40, because I've seen so many things kind of come and go, I, I, I feel like, uh, oh, maybe this is, uh, this is just a, yet another new thing. Um, uh, maybe not necessarily a bandwagon with React Native, but this is just yet another new technology. And in a couple of years, <laughs> you know, uh, it may not be around. And, and I think the other thing is, you know, kind of getting into the other aspect of the post, which is, um, it's, it's kind of, it's not necessarily the, uh, the learning of new technologies, because I think every programmer really loves to learn and it is exciting to pick up new things, but it's also kind of the displacement of the stuff that you knew before, right? So you've, um, you know, with enough experience, you can think back to 10 years or five years before when you learned a whole lot about some other framework. Um, and, and the industry has changed and, you know, all that knowledge, all that energy you sunk into learning that framework um, isn't isn't useful anymore. And so you kind of have to gear up and, and kind of discard um, what you knew before um, and kind of go on a new journey. And um, and you're pretty much at the same point that, uh, that everyone else is. Um, regardless of how long they've been in the industry. There's really no advantage. I don't, I mean, there's, and I think this is debatable and this is probably something that we could talk about, but there's not as quite, quite as much advantage maybe as you'd expect, um, for, uh, you know, a 40 year old programmer getting to React Native versus a 30 year old or versus a 25 year old. Um, if a lot of the concepts are, are new and sure there are, of course, and again, we can kind of talk about this. There's, um, there's probably basic patterns and things and some of my experience can help me maybe jumpstart me to kind of understand the bigger picture. But, uh, but, you know, when I'm thinking, you know, I'm listening to, you know, uh, React Native and their, their terminology flex, flex boxes and, uh, you know, frameworks like pepperoni. I mean, none of my experience, you know, 10 years ago makes me understand what pepperoni is. So, yeah. Although, you know, you could argue that your, the meta of you re- recognizing that you know your your older your other experiences don't necessarily translate well to this that that in itself is an advantage um i mean i, I also think about you know you compare in this post you compared programming to other industries like medicine for example and you know medical there have been some medical practices that you know today make no sense. I mean, we did stuff like bloodletting in the past, and I think any doctor who before, who you know who was alive during the bloodletting age, if they were alive today, they would be like, "Well, you know, we did bloodletting, and we really didn't learn a lot from the bloodletting." <laughs> and in <laughs> retrospect, it was a terrible idea. Yep. You know, maybe maybe we learned a little bit about um, about how blood blood courses through the body, and that was useful, and uh, how much. A, person can bleed before they die but <laughs> we're getting pretty uh, morbid here yeah yeah it's pretty morbid but uh, so i mean hmm. yeah, no i yeah i i, under, I understand and, and i think this was uh, you know i got a, a number of comments uh on my post and on uh you know on different sites like reddit and hacker news and i think this is one of the the critiques or the questions i guess which is hey is programming that much different than other professions and you know you have any profession if you i i know i mentioned uh you know the medical field in, in my post a couple of times just uh, um, I don't know, just as an example, I guess, um, I found them similar because we're both kind of knowledge workers, right? We're both, you know, we take data, we kind of make decisions. We're, um, uh, so I, I thought there were some parallels there. Um, and I do think, yeah, I do think it's the case that other fields have, you know, technology and there are changes in the profession. Um, but, I, I guess I was wondering and specifically at this conference and, you know, afterwards I wondered, um, you know, is it, is it the same or is there a different in extent? You know, um, is it when I talk to, uh, friends and family and neighbors and things who are in different professions, of course they have different struggles and they have different kind of pros and cons in their profession. But this, this part of, you know, being 40 and going to a conference and kind of gearing up and learning all new things does seem to be more unique. Um, a doctor might have a new practice or there might be new, um, scientific knowledge that kind of uh, affects how, uh, how he might, prescribe things. But I wonder, and again, I'm not a doctor, but uh, I, I wonder if those things displace knowledge or if they build on the knowledge that that, that, that person has. Um, in our field, I feel like 
some of the knowledge is more displaced. Like we are discarding knowledge that we had in favor of new things, new frameworks, new tools, new platforms. Um, whereas in another professions, uh, maybe new techniques and come, uh, or, or, or changes, um, cause, you know, kind of increase the amount, the total amount of knowledge, but don't cause people to, um, kind of discard or have to discard what they knew. Mm. Well, you know, and I mean, in medicine, you would discard something like bloodletting over time. You would discard maybe the use of a drug that gets disproven, you know, f- uh, fen for weight loss, for example. Like, okay, we're not going to prescribe fen anymore. It wasn't a good idea. Um, and, you know, I guess the equivalent in programming is, uh, I think you mentioned... What you, you what did you mention JSPs or something like like nobody uses these anymore um but you do i mean w- by having worked with JSPs doesn't the very experience of having worked with JSPs i mean doesn't that give you some advantage i mean does that uh, does does the adva- does does that uh, just a ge- the general experience of having programmed with with the technology, I mean, it's almost like it doesn't matter what you have programmed with in the past, but the the very aspect of that experience, that compounds in some sense. So you're never like throwing, I mean, you may be throwing out the technology that you're working with, working with but, um, you know, we don't use horse-drawn carriages anymore, but somebody who has, who spent a lot of time in the horse-drawn carriage industry probably has a lot of knowledge that is applicable in some other way. Yeah, yeah, I do think so. I do think there is some some carryover for sure. Um, I, you know, what I actually I was picking on. Uh, I, I think I mentioned in the post is GWT, <laughs> uh, so Google Google Web Toolkit. Depending on uh, how long people, you know, your listeners have. I've been in the industry. I don't know what that is. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Back in 2008, uh, their JavaScript was kind of a, you know, it had a real, uh, a, a bad taste in people's mouth. Uh, like it was, um, it, it was kind of associated with a lot of spaghetti code and it was dynamically typed and it was, um, it was kind of ugly, uh, in the early days. And so there's a big industry shift away from JavaScript towards uh, uh, technologies like GWT, which is Java that gets kind of compiled into JavaScript. Um, so you're writing in Java, um, other things like Flex and Flash and, uh, I believe Silverlight, but I, I hope I'm not wrong on this. I, I'm not. Um, but other technologies were trying to build web applications without touching JavaScript. And this was a big deal back in 2008. Um, and then we, I think collectively the industry realized that this was kind of a dead end and lots of, <laughs> uh, you know, newer and better technologies. There's a little, you know, more robust things, uh, happened, um, uh, with JavaScript, uh, nicer, you know, frameworks like Angular and, uh, uh, and now React and, and so forth. A lot of kind of innovation is happening in the JavaScript, uh, side. So anyways, long story short, like I think this little detour. So was, I think your question was, did that help to go on that detour? Did that give me some better perspective that now in 2016, eight years later, um, kind of helps me, you know, be more effective building software? I think maybe to some extent it does. But yesterday I'm, you know, working in the JavaScript tier, working with shims and polyfills and <laughs> MD and libraries and all this whole new technology. And it doesn't help much, I don't think, in my perspective. It, it gives me a maybe a better global view, but I, I don't think it helps quite as much. mentioned that that java java and javascript translation stuff i'm sure people were very excited about that stuff around 2008 when when we were like oh this is going to be the solution similarly people are very excited about react native right now but when you look into i mean i've done some shows on react native it is really complicated it's really complicated it seems it's a super ambitious project but um i could you know, if if one of your points of the article was to point out that you you know you felt this sense of fatigue, um, I look at React Native sometimes and I'm like, man, that's I feel fatigued just looking at this. I don't see how this is ever going to work. It seems too ambitious. Um, I don't know. It seems like there is like a certain amount of a certain trade off. There's a certain um, balance you have to develop as you're evaluating technologies and you do have to have some measured sense of skepticism and it's probably natural that that skepticism grows over time when you've seen time and time again you know i'm sure 
back when Google, what GWT, when, G, when GWT came out, I'm sure their marketing materials were very attractive and it felt like GWT was the future. And when you get burned enough times by investing your um, beliefs into that kind of thing and you get burned by it, just, that can fatigue you. Yeah, exactly. I think you said it way better than I did. Yeah, exactly. When you've been, you know, around for a little while and you've seen, you remember how excited you were <laughs> when GWT came out and you remember, you know, uh, you know, just all the hype and all the buzz around this and everyone kind of jumping on the bandwagon and, and you realize that it was a dead end. It can kind of fatigue you after a while, I think. And you, you're not quite as excited to jump on the next bandwagon if you perceive it to be a bandwagon. So I think you kind of, maybe try to invest, you kind of back off on the, the trendy things and maybe try to um, invest in things that you think maybe are more stable. Well, what's interesting about that is that in programming, especially as open source has become so big, it's not just like the bandwagon effect with, you know, oh, are you going to drink Coke or Pepsi? Uh, it's not like this, just like coin flip, uh, you know, uh, what's fashionable now sort of thing. It's more like, if something gains a significant amount of momentum and other people start to latch on to it, um, even if it's this kind of project where it's like, okay, there's like a big vision, like React Native, for example, but we're not anywhere close to realizing the vision of what that is, the virtue of it becoming a bandwagon can make lots of open source contributors latch on to it, and then it actually reaches that potential. That's what's kind of interesting is that, you know, some of sometimes you could, this type of... Uh, uh, aggressive marketing or this visionary thinking, however you want to view it, can be quite quite beneficial. It can end up actualizing a technology just by virtue of the fact that it was so craftily marketed. And that's interesting. It kind of is self fulfilling in, in some way, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I do. Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. I have thought a, a bit about kind of the uh, the collective psychology of kind of um, of bandwagons and what fuels that. Um, where I, I do think you know you you see something that is kind of hot and has potential and um, and you want to. Uh, I think there's there's always a kind of a natural tendency to want to be associated with uh, you know things that are kind of new. I mean, I think it helps you in your career the way you kind of brand yourself. You want to be someone who is forward thinking and trying new things, and so you see this next this next hot thing, which could be React Native, and you jump into that and maybe you contribute to open source projects or you maybe try to fit it in, kind of shoehorn it into your existing projects, and it builds this kind of momentum. Um, eventually, I think you get to the point where that is no longer uh, cool or new, and the people who are there now in React Native want to then further be associated with what is new, and they kind of jump off the bandwagon and find something else new. And so there's this kind of psychology of fashion going on where um, the industry is constantly jumping to the things that are uh, that are new for the for the sake of new um, again I, I don't know enough about react native to speak intelligently and I hope that I don't get a lot of uh, uh, flames on on, on, uh, on react native specifically but just talking in general well that's okay that makes two of us I don't know a whole lot about it either <laughs> um, you know I've had some people on the show who have been in the industry a lot. I did a show with Brian Kernahan, who uh, wrote a book, I think it's called, it's commonly referred to as K&R, about C. Uh, he's now working, I think, in Go a lot. And <clears throat> when I interviewed him, he was very humble about programming. He seemed to feel like he didn't uh, have a great pulse on where things were going, but uh, I mean, he not to, not to discredit him, he's a brilliant guy, but I think that it was just a, a show of his beliefs about how you should evaluate technologies, how you should think about technologies, was come at it with a sense of humility, you don't really know what's around the corner. And then in contrast, I think of another more uh, uh, seasoned programmer who I interviewed, um, Stephen Wolfram, and he seemed a little more opinionated about where things are and where things are going. And, and, uh, you see that in the technologies that he works on. The, the Wolfram language is a very, what seems like a very opinionated language to me. Um, so it's, it's interesting because, you know, the, I'm referring to people who are older than you and they have, uh, divergent, uh, opinions. I just use, I, I use those as examples to, to ask, um, what, uh, when you have, 
talked to other people who are even older than you, older programmers. What were their responses to your your article about pro- reflections of an old programmer? Yeah, so yeah, I got a yeah, I got a good amount of feedback, and I talked to friends who were were older as well. Um, first, I guess I should say, you know, by calling myself an old programmer, I was being tongue in cheek. I know, um, yeah. <laughs> I do, I got a lot of I got a lot of comments. Uh, you know, people say, "Hey, I'm 65 and I'm still programming. You're not old," and I'm like, I totally totally get that. And I am um, kudos to everyone who is still programming. Someone wrote he's in the 70s and he's still contributing to open source projects and. I think that's that's awesome, and I hope to to be there someday um, and still feel as passionate. Um, and I don't feel old. I was just um, kind of uh, trying to communicate the point that it is possible in some points to feel old in this, you know, maybe feel old in this profession when you really aren't old. Um, but to your question, how did other people, um, kind of people older than me, kind of respond to it? I, I think um, I, I think. What has impressed me most is um, the people I think that are still programming that haven't bailed out to management or to sales or to other professions that are still programming in their 50s and 60s. They don't worry about this stuff quite as much, it seems. They love programming. And this is the biggest kind of takeaway that uh, from reading a lot of the comments um, and from talking to people is they 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 love building things. They find some kind of nugget of enjoyment within programming, whether it's building things or solving thing, solving problems or, or learning new technologies that is, is kind of satisfying and meaningful to them. And, um, and that's, that's what they focus on. And, um, that's what keeps them engaged and excited to be in the field. Um, and I think they, they have more skepticism about new frameworks. And if new frameworks, learning new things isn't something that um, is their kind of reason for being in, in programming, then that's not something that they um, try to keep up on. But they they kind of, you, you, you end up finding the parts uh, of the profession that you enjoy and you focus on that. And I think that was kind of the best, the best takeaway that I had from after writing the post and reading a lot of the feedback was, was kind of, you know, feeling stressed about uh, keeping up with the latest technology is probably um, not all that helpful. And instead, you know, if you can just kind of focus on the parts um, that you enjoy, I think uh, success will come. Indeed. Uh, so in your 20 years of programming, we've seen this explosion of all kinds of new technologies that people are um, working with and building uh, but at the same time, our methods of distribution and communication have also increased. So, um, you know, it's in some sense, it's become harder to keep up. In, a, in another sense, it's become easier to keep up. Um, even as this horizon is expanding, the ways of keeping track of it are expanding as well. In that 20 years, has do you feel like it's become easier or harder to keep up? Um, I, honestly, I feel, I, I think you mentioned this in the, in, in before, I, I feel like it's harder. Um, I definitely feel like there is more out there. You know, 15 years ago, or when I first kind of came in the industry, there was just a smaller set of stuff that you felt at least uh, that you needed to pay attention to. Um, I was, I've always kind of been in the Java world. And so, you know, back in the early 2000s, it was just EJBs and maybe there's one web framework uh, called Struts back then. And that was kind of the big deal. And, and basically if you knew the EJB spec and you knew Struts, I mean, you were kind of ahead of things um, and you felt like you kind of had a, a decent um, grasp of, of where the industry was. And, and today I'm just, um, just <laughs> kind of astonished and, and, uh, and I don't know, there's just a lot more out there. I think every time I, I try to be, um, more of a full stack developer, I try to, um, have some basic understanding of a lot of the different tiers. And, um, so I may dabble in just kind of looking into NoSQL databases or the data science kind of stuff and just kind of, uh, play around there. And then I jump back over into the UI and, um, and this, you know, explosion, like we talked about in, in, in JavaScript frameworks and, in innovations happening in the UI. And, um, it's just every little pocket within, you know, our, our programming field, there is just an enormous amount of innovation and new stuff and frameworks and things to know. Um, and, and like you mentioned there, there's, you know, the way we stay on top of things, the, there's so many more outlets and, uh, blog posts and, um, 
you know, back again, 15 years ago, there was Dr. Dobbs and that was what you read. You had your subscription to Dr. Dobbs and you felt like you're on top of things. And now I've got, you know, a number of different, uh, you know, curated lists of links and things that I receive every week just to, you know, just to kind of keep my, my finger on the pulse if I can. And it's just, it's a lot. I think, uh, I think maybe that's why, uh, uh, the post struck a chord with some people because I, I feel like it's a lot for people and it, it, it's easily to feel kind of overwhelmed. Yeah. And this is not a great metric for how much things are increasing and fractaling and uh, getting more complex. But I, I think I've noticed, so I started reading Hacker News like three years ago or so. Um, I don't know. Do you, do you read Hacker News? Okay, so I think most programmers do at this point. So I think I started reading it three or four years ago. And I think in that time, the entropy over a day of the articles on Hacker News has really picked up. And I don't know if that's just people who are using Hacker News or if it's an accurate benchmark of the pace of technology, but it just feels like you can refresh that site uh, every 10 minutes and you just use like, oh my gosh, technology is moving really fast. Yeah, uh, yeah, I definitely feel that. I, and I think, um, you know, swinging all the way back to the conference that I went to, I, I think it, it's, you have these, you know, a conference is this just kind of culmination of it, right? Where you're physically around all these people and you're, there's all these topics and all these sessions and you feel these kind of simultaneous feelings of excitement and, you know, about all this new stuff going on and, and also just, uh, uh, like I, I mentioned, you just, you know, could potentially be a little disheartened because the flip side of that is that you you are not in the know in a lot of these things. And so it, it, I guess it's a kind of a struggle to to keep balance, I think, sometimes. Yeah. So getting back to your article, you said that there are two forces that are pushing against our ability to keep up. You are trying to codify what is causing this uh, insistent feeling that we have inside that we cannot keep up. Um, you talk about the knowledge decay and the knowledge accumulation rate. Uh, so knowledge decay, you give examples of two technologies that may have differing rates of decay. And the first technology you discuss is SQL. SQL is probably never going away. I, I mean, I hesitate to say never, but probably not. And then React Native React Native will be around for who knows how long. It's easy to imagine circumstances developing where React Native perhaps fades away. But even if React Native fades away, maybe the concepts that React Native is built on will still be around. You know, maybe we'll still have some of the, well, I mean, I guess the declarative nature of React, that's more about React rather than React Native. So I'm not sure what the specific concepts we would retain from React Native would be, but Nonetheless, like it seems like working on SQL, perhaps you might have a more durable, accumulated knowledge. Um, I don't know. How do you look at that that problem of knowledge decay when you're deciding what technologies to work with? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I guess I was trying to, like you said, I, I was trying to kind of frame these questions of, uh, okay, why is this, like, why is there this kind of ritual um, in programming where I have to, you know, uh, throw out some set of knowledge like on GWT and gear up for a React Native where in other professions, um, this might not be the case. Um, and so I, I thought, okay, well, let's just try to isolate it down to, to one variable. You know, um, you know we're... There's other professions that are knowledge workers. We're knowledge workers. What's the difference in the knowledge that we have versus the knowledge that they have? Um, and so I just, you know, and this is a, the beauty about blogging is that <laughs> you don't need to fact check or have any data behind. You can just, these are just your thoughts. And so I, I thought about, well, the difference is um, that our knowledge kind of decays, right? There's some knowledge that there's a kind of a half-life that you could put on knowledge. Um, and you could think about it that, you know, in, in 10 years, and I just put a, a completely arbitrary stake in the ground, but in 10 years, I felt like... Um, you know, probably half my knowledge would be useless, would not be helpful. So the half-life of my knowledge is, is kind of, uh, of I said in general of my knowledge is, is uh, in programming is about 10 years. But I think like you mentioned, if you kind of dissect it more, there's, there's certain things within your kind of knowledge corpus or your knowledge base that, um, that have a longer half-life than, than others. Like SQL, I think obviously has a, a much longer half-life than, than probably some of the new JavaScript frameworks or, or so forth. Um, so, 
I think what was, I guess, helpful, what I was trying to kind of tease out was how can I, how can I kind of formalize this and how, and how can I think about things so that, um, you know, what's a useful way of framing this so that I can kind of guide my career, um, and, and potentially focus on things, um, that have a, a less of, um, uh, you know, a lower or a longer half-life. Right. And the, so that's knowledge decay. And the other concept you discuss is this knowledge accumulation rate. And this is the pace at which we add new things to our knowledge corpus. Um, you know, in some sense, we would expect the pace at which we add new things to our knowledge corpus to be related to the pace at which the uh, overall um, horizon of new technologies is expanding. But in actuality, the rate at which new technologies are expanding and being created is accelerating. And our knowledge accumulation rate can't really accelerate, right? I mean, it's like probably kind of a static value. It's hard to, I don't know if you can learn more things at a faster rate. I mean, certainly, yeah. So, I mean, what's the relationship between this knowledge decay and knowledge accumulation? Is it like, is it like as, as the, the, as there's more and more JavaScript frameworks and more and more databases and more and more distributed systems frameworks, do we have to throw out stuff faster? Do we have to increase our knowledge decay or our knowledge eviction rate as and increase our knowledge accumulation that yeah that's interesting you know and so uh i didn't think about uh kind of the point you're making which is um i was thinking about the knowledge accumula- accumulation rate is hey can i can i fill up uh my knowledge kind of corpus as fast as the stuff is decaying and i didn't think about it necessarily in the in the sense that you know the overall amount of knowledge that could be accumulated is more and so that that has kind of implications on my knowledge accumulation rate as well but that's that's a really interesting point um i i just kind of was thinking there's okay just Basically, there's a there's a rough threshold of knowledge in which you need to be uh, effective um, to build software, um, and and so you, given the fact that knowledge decays, can you? Is it possible to kind of um, uh, accumulate enough knowledge to kind of compensate? And it kind of led me to the the next part of the the post, which was I put these things two things together: this knowledge decay and knowledge accumulation rate, and kind of plotted it over the course of, uh, you know, average programmer's career um, and kind of thought about things in in the stages of of your career and and what, you know, how they impacted, you know, uh, or how knowledge decay and kind of accumulation rates impacted the uh, you during those different stages. Now, you described these three stages of a programmer. You, You had the eager apprentice stage, the rising star stage, and the steady veteran stage. These are three um, phases of mastery that a programmer goes through. Explain these three stages. Sure. Yeah. And again, blogging is great because you can just come up with these stages. And <laughs> that's true. <laughs> and that's just, uh, you know, within the context of that post, that's just how it is. Uh, so I, I just, you know, again, kind of arbitrarily put these um, uh, thought about someone's career in, in terms of these three stages with respect to kind of knowledge decay and knowledge accumulation rate. And so the, the first stage um, was, yeah, that kind of eager apprentice stage. You're just starting out in the industry and, and, uh, Everything is shiny and new and exciting, and it, it's so exciting that you're in this field that you can start building things, and people will use the things that you build right away. Um, you know, if you're—I always pick on the medical field—but if you're a doctor, you gotta wait probably ten years before you start, you know, doing procedures that help people. Or uh, I could be wrong on the number of years, but there's—you're not doing it right right out of undergrad. But in programming, you are. You can you can kind of jump in, get your hands dirty. You can contribute to a project right away. And it's really exciting. And what also is exciting is um, that you're learning so much. So every kind of new experience that is new accumulation of knowledge. And in the first few years, I gave it arbitrarily five years, say, um, none of your knowledge is really appreciably decaying. You don't, everything that you've learned so far is still relevant. And every, you know, new, every new day that you go in, you're learning something new and it's all building into, into your kind of your knowledge base. And so it's a, it's kind of a really exciting, uh, exciting time um, as a programmer. And I think that's why, you know, programmers are, you know, a lot of people go into programming when they're young and, um, 
it is kind of a, a you know skewed towards a, a younger person's field. Um, eventually, you get out of that eager apprentice phase, and um, and you're kind of you know you're more self sufficient, and you're uh, you know you know your way around. You're more confident once you know. You probably um, can contribute to you know uh, you know a full spike of functionality in your application, say like from top to bottom, and you don't really need as much mentorship or guidance. Um, and you really establish yourself. People, you know, your clients and your your colleagues and your you know managers are recognize you as as someone who's you know someone who's competent and established themselves um, and can produce. Um, and so it's at this point that I, I kind of um, said that there is kind of a it's also an exciting time, but it's also this kind of point of uh, inflection um, that you don't realize um, because it's at this point where when you start getting. A, a little more recognition that these new expectations get placed on you, right? You, um, you have, or, you know, your company wants you to be more involved in interviewing other candidates, or they want you to kind of mentor the, the junior people and do more code reviews or, uh, sit in in more meetings. Um, things that don't necessarily help you accumulate more new knowledge they kind of use the knowledge you have and you're using it to benefit the organization or other people which is a good thing for sure but it kind of slows your accumulation rate and the other thing is that around this time you've been in the industry seven ten years some of your knowledge starts to decay and so the overall knowledge where it was kind of linear growth in the first stage um, it starts to kind of peter off it's still you know an upward trajectory but it starts that you know you're not kind of adding quite as much new stuff and maybe some stuff is decaying. So those are kind of the, the first two stages. And um, I, I, the last stage was you get to this point where you've been in the industry for 15 years, you have probably a lot more expectations on you. And, um, and so you actually maybe peak at some point with the amount of useful knowledge that you have. Some of the knowledge, like my knowledge in GWT, it's gone, it's useless, and uh, it's not helping me anymore. And so I, in terms of my overall knowledge, it might be less than, you know, less now than it was five years ago. And you kind of reach this point of recognition where um, because of these two forces, because some of my knowledge is decaying and because I don't have the ability to acquire as much new knowledge to compensate all the time, I may, um, I kind of plateau or I may kind of, um, there might be some kinds of ebbs, ebbs and flows in my overall knowledge um, past the age of 35 or 40, I said, just again, arbitrarily. So there's the rising start phase where you you know you're you're accumulating knowledge quickly. You have a sharp slope to how much your knowledge base is increasing, and then you hit this point where you go to the um, the I'm sorry. You, there's the eager apprentice phase, and that's where you're, you're you're rising sharply. And then there's the rising start stage where you're you know you're slowing down a little bit in terms of um, <clears throat> how how quickly you're learning because maybe you're getting pulled into meetings and stuff and just you know these these things that are impinging on your learning rate and then you get to the steady veteran stage and this is what i want to talk about the steady veteran stage is this phase you describe where you know you get later on in your career instead of increasing the knowledge you just end up in this dynamic equilibrium where um you've effectively plateaued and it's just your your knowledge is kind of going up and down and up and down as the tides of technology turn and certain tech certain tech technologies get outdated and um so so that to me seems an undesirable state so for a veteran programmer who has been in the industry for a long time and they're starting to notice you know they look back on their last two or three years and they're like oh no i've plateaued i'm in this dynamic equilibrium state there's got to be some way to get out of that, right? Like, there's got to be some way to get back to the place where you're constantly learning, right? Yeah, yeah, that's it's a good point. And I think, you know, I had friends who read the post who are my age. They're like, dude, you you really depressed me there. <laughs> I know, that's what I was thinking. I was like, man, this is kind of cynical. Yeah, it is. Right, exactly. And I didn't mean it to be so simple. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do think there was, you know, there was some um, kind of... Uh, 
I, yeah, I guess there was some cynicism there where, but it, there's also a maturity, I think, um, that you reach as a, in the steady ve- veteran stage where, you know, in your early part of your career, you just imagine this, you know, linear growth all the way up until you're 60 years old and you're just going to be this programming god because at that point every year the amount of knowledge if you kind of track the amount of knowledge you're learning month over month i mean you're it's just up and to the right it's just amazing that that kind of trajectory is just um it's it's just awesome and but you do get to a point uh i think when you're kind of a veteran where it does kind of tail off a little bit and i think there are absolutely things that you can do to to kind of um, keep that trajectory going up and keep accumulating useful knowledge and stuff that helps you and keep getting better and better at improving it, it, what you're, what you're doing. Um, but I do think, I guess for me, it was helpful to kind of step back and try to appreciate what these forces were so that I could kind of break out of this equilibrium state. Um, one of the things I do think though, and I've seen this often is, uh, if you don't kind of appreciate that your knowledge decays and you don't appreciate the, the impact of extra obligations on you, um, from the organization that you can, you can slip into this steady state and it can be not as satisfying. And, and a lot of people, I think at this point kind of, uh, bail out and go into management or go into something, uh, you know, kind of another, another pocket in the field. Um, so I do think you have to be kind of mindful of, of this so that you can sometimes say, you know what? I don't want to manage. I want to be a programmer. I want to be an expert in the field. I want to be able to, um, uh, you know, be, I don't know, perceived as expert and keep improving. And so I'm not going to take on these extra obligations that are going to take away from my ability to kind of accumulate more knowledge. Um, so I think there are. And then the other thing, the, the other, um, kind of takeaway was that, yeah, there is some knowledge that decays faster than others, like we talked about. And so maybe I should focus on, um, things that knowledge that is more durable so that it is more cumulative, um, than something that's going to decay. And I, I think a lot of people wrote in and, and, and were kind of giving examples of things in their career that have been more cumulative, um, than decaying. Um, you know, knowledge of algorithms, knowledge of kind of, you know, patterns and best practices and in certain pockets in the field too. the, you know, in data science, uh, there's, um, I think a lot more, uh, you know, depth in, in, in math and science and things or math and statistics that are, are not going to change quite as much. So I do think if you appreciate these things, it, it doesn't have to be so dismal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, in the, the algorithms perspective, for example, like, um, these you know i've been doing some shows recently about these uh, about schedulers and just like different kinds of schedulers and um there are many schedulers in the um the infrastructure ecosystem right now when i when i say infrastructure ecosystem i mean like these distributed systems frameworks like mesos and kubernetes um and um and it's funny because, you know, schedulers was something that I learned about in school, and I kind of was just like, okay, I don't ever see these things um, in the programming that I'm doing, or I didn't see them much. You know, there's some toy academic applications, but, uh, you know, our professors would always say, you're going to see these things over and over again, and and then, you know, now I'm at this point where I'm doing a bunch of shows on them, and I'm like, oh, it's true, like, scheduling is a really big deal, and at the same time, the the schedule, the field of schedulers is so deep, just the abstract concept of schedulers. You could go really deep on schedulers and it's probably something that's durable and it's going to compound interest um, as you learn it over time. Um, So when you step back and you take a look at this career landscape and you look at how your own career has evolved, what are the other high-level takeaways as a programmer that has been in the industry for 20 years? Sure. Yeah. I, I think, um, I kind of mentioned in the beginning, I think the biggest takeaway for me was to, um, maybe stop fretting quite as much about these, you know, the not keeping up and just, uh, focus on the parts of the, the profession that you do love. Um, uh, I, I think it's very easy, like we mentioned, to kind of get carried, you know, overwhelmed by, um, 
how much is out there and how much you don't know. But at the end of the day, we're, you know, most of us are building software for real people and real customers. And those real customers don't care quite as much about the underlying frameworks. They care about whether the software does what they want it to do. Um, and if I can use jQuery just as effectively for my client, um, for a specific application, then they're going to be just as happy then versus, um, versus, you know, trying out the, the latest and greatest. And so I, I think if we kind of, keep the those kind of feelings of being overwhelmed at bay and, and focus on what what we're doing the the parts that we do enjoy and the the output of um of what we're doing the the actual the 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 product of uh, of what we're building i think um i think that's something that does um it, it is something that gives a lot of uh, satisfaction and meaning to to what we do and you can kind of stop worrying and if you do that right then you're going to have a long you know a happy career in in this field i think if you focus on the stuff that we're building and keeping their customers happy um i i think i think in the end that was kind of my biggest takeaway do you work on side projects i used to and then i had kids <laughs> ah see and now we have uncovered the source of your cynicism <laughs> <laughs> probably no, true no honestly i find that side projects are the road to spiritual renewal as a programmer <laughs> that's interesting yeah yeah so so why do you uh why do you say that well it's because with a side project you really get to i mean you don't get to be in you don't have to be encumbered by i mean you, you it lets you get back at the roots of you know those first days of programming where you know, you go from Hello World to, like, making some text-based game, and you're just doing it, you know, on your own. Maybe you build some small web app that does something stupid that you just needed it to do. Um, those, I mean, those are my fondest memories of programming, are those times where I'm just, like, hacking by myself, and I'm working on a side project, and I'm I'm learning something new, and I get to, I get to build things exactly how I want. I don't have to worry about unit tests or integration tests or branching strategies or any of this stuff that you have to do as an industrial programmer. Um, you really just kind of get to, you know, paint on an empty canvas. Um, and I know that's not, you know, that's not all that there is to programming. But for me, I always found that very, like I, I got an artistic, sort of an art, solo artistic um, sense out of it, and I always found it very fun, and and you know, I found that to be a very good way to learn new technologies in a way that was um, pleasurable. You know, like like that. If I were going to learn React Native today, I would be like, okay, well, I'm going to learn it on a side project, I'm not going to learn it in an industrial con context. Yeah, I, I, I yeah, I, absolutely. Um, yeah, I had done in you know my earlier uh, in the twenties and early thirties, I did do a number of side projects, things that were fun to learn a specific technology or things that I wanted to, um, you know, little applications that might be helpful for me or for helpful for a, a friend with a small business or something like that. And I think you're right. There is a lot of when there's fewer constraints. Um, you don't have to worry about integrating with, you know, hundreds of thousands of legacy code line, you know, lines of legacy code that you have to understand. And, um, yeah, unit tests and integration tests. I think there, there is probably you can get back to, um, stuff that is more pleasurable or more fun. Um, yeah, I think that's, um, I think that's a good point. I think, it, uh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> well, no, a kid is a side project too, probably. For some, for some <laughs> Absolutely. I think, you know, probably the last thing to say is that, uh, you know, having kids and uh, it is amazing. And, and probably some of maybe the um, you see this, um, these other things happening that are, are really important in your in your family life. And so it kind of puts in perspective some of the, you know, you, you may not have quite as much energy to jump on the React Native bandwagon because uh, you're going to coach your kid's soccer game right after, you know, and there's there's other stuff that you're focusing on. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so maybe that 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 contributes as well. But uh, in the end, I, I still I, I hope, you know, when when I have free time, I love tinkering and, and doing side projects and um, yeah. No, oh, and I'm sure once those kids get to a certain age, you'll be tinkering with them. And I'm sure that'll be a very enjoyable thing to do. Yeah, I hope so. Definitely. Um, so we've got some things coming down the pike, like IoT, voice interfaces, virtual reality, um, 
may, I think blockchain technology may fit this category. These things, we have all these things coming down the pike that look like platforms that are totally new, that are going to be as impactful as mobile was. And we started out this conversation basically talking about how you felt like you missed the mobile boat. I think we've got like four or five areas coming down the pike that are as big as mobile. And I mean, <laughs> you know, do, do, do these types of advances, do these, um, I mean, does this, do you look at these types of things and you're like, well, you know, I need to try to keep up with all of these, or do you just start to think like, okay, it's time to put down a stake in the ground and say, I am going to specialize in in X. I'm not going to try to be uh, somebody who's good at virtual reality programming and good at IoT and good at mobile and good at web. Do you have to put down a stake, or do you do you, do you maybe like put down a stake and then still kind of like keep your fingers out prodding other stuff? How do you handle it when? I mean, because I feel like you know we've been talking about this basically fractal nature of how the topics that are being explored in programming is expanding and becoming harder to keep up with. I feel like it's about to get even harder, like exponentially harder. Now you're bumming me out. <laughs> Just joking. Well, I'm excited about it as a podcaster because I don't actually have to learn any of the <laughs> difficult parts of it. I can just stay skin deep. It's very exciting for me. No, I, I do think it is exciting. I, I think it's it's exciting. And uh, I, there was a great analogy back in uh, the pragmatic, pragmatic programmer. Um, I think a book that was written a long time ago, but I think uh, still people uh read it It was was talking about your kind of knowledge as in like you think of it as an investment portfolio where you um you might buy a couple blue chip stocks um so that might be your you know specialization where you're kind of digging in on you know i'm going to be a mobile guy but then you you know you use some you know you make some small investments in in maybe some riskier things and so you kind of balance your portfolio a little bit and yeah you probably do specialize a little bit because um I mean, you, uh, to be effective in, in, you know, you, you probably need some specialty. Um, it's tough to be a jack of all trades. Um, but you also kind of, you know, balance that portfolio a little bit and try to dabble a little bit and kind of keep, uh, keep aware of things so that if the industry does shift, at least you have some sense of where it's going and what, what might be fruitful. Um, but I, I think the, the, the great thing about our field, probably the, the thing that we've been talking about that is, some you can see it as distressing or you can see it as exciting which is if you miss one train there's going to be another train coming in you know a couple months and so if you miss mobile um you know there's there's going to be some new field that you could probably jump into and contribute to and 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 get up to speed on and and develop some expertise there so um i i think i think there's there's you know lots of optimism for that in that there you know we are in a field that um, changes a lot, and that's what's exciting about it. Absolutely. Well, um, Ben, I think I want to wrap up on that note, and um, I really enjoyed talking to you. I really enjoyed your post. It was a great reflection on somebody who was experienced in the industry, um, and I felt like it was very, it was well balanced. Um, there, were, you know, obviously you can take the you could take cynic, cynical interpretations from it. You could take. Um, other kinds of interpretations from it, but overall, I, I can't. I walked away from it with a very, um, I don't know. It was, it was reflective, which is, which is, uh, you know, the the name of the article was "Reflections of an Old Program." It was reflective, um, so I really enjoyed reading it. Hey, thanks so much, and thanks so much for having me. Thanks to Symphono for sponsoring Software Engineering Daily. Symphono is a custom engineering shop where senior engineers tackle big tech challenges while learning from each other. Check it out at symphono.com slash sedaily. That's S-Y-M-P-H-O-N-O dot com slash sedaily. Thanks again, Symphono. Wow.